Welcome to Game Brain. It's the Gen Con episode, and I'm excited. Oh, dear. <laughs> worst, oh, no. <laughs> worst podcast start of all time. <laughs> We're keeping it. Welcome to round three, turn three. It's two threes in a row. Easy to remember. This is the Gen Con episode. Special edition. Special, special, special dish. Uh, Gen Con episode. Uh, I am joined today by the only member of our group who actually went to Gen Con. Trey Alsop, welcome. Uh, it's a shame that I was the only one. You were, you were missed, Matt. I feel like you were. that must have been a little lonely. I mean, you had Matt Patterson, friend of the show. We'll yeah, Matt Patterson uh, stepped in and, and was a, a real solid companion. Ooh, you've, got, you've got Gen Con voice. <clears throat> I didn't think so, but I guess I do. <laughs> um, Usually, it's you, me, Tom. Tom, maybe Ben Werner. We've got a bunch of Ben showed there. up. Ben, ben was the there. last second uh, ad uh, RPG designer out of Arizona. Good friend. Yep. Friend of the pod. Yep. Um, I'm very jealous. We, I was, I not, I was not lonely. No, the, okay, Gen Con, the, the Gen Con community are like the friends you have doing LARPs. You don't go there and you're, you're, you're not lonely. You were missed. I'm usually lonely there, but we'll get into that oh, later. Oh. Uh, we are going to talk about all things Gen Con today. We're going to tell you all the news, the big things that were announced. Uh, Trey recorded a lovely piece of audio for us live from the show. It's going to take you into the world of Gen Con. Close your eyes and sit back and you'll be transported to Gen Con. We're doing this right now? No, we're, I'm, okay, just, okay, I'm okay. teeing it up, teeing it up, Trey, teeing it up. Damn. Uh, we're going to take you on a POV trip into Gen Con through Trey. Uh, then we are going to review a game that did not come out at Gen Con this year, a game that came out a few years ago called Tokyo Metro that we are currently infatuated with. It's 2018, isn't it? Jordan Draper. Is it? Okay. I think then it's last year. There you yeah. go. I thought it was 17. Um, we're going to review that wonderful, bizarre semi-train game. Uh, then we are going to do our debate for this week, which is not going to be a me versus Trey thing, but just us discussing it. We will do the me versus me thing. Me versus me. Me versus someone else thing at some point again. But this week, we're, the topic is Gen Con. Or Gen Can't. And we're going to get right into that and tell you we're all. We're going to get the, into the Gen Cons and the, and the and Gen Pros. pros. That's yeah. right. Have you ever wanted to go to Gen Con? We're going to tell you all the reasons you should want to go and then all the reasons you might be okay never going. And we're going to get into that. That is today's episode. Um, Trey, uh, I, should we do the news now or should we do your, your piece? I'm a little wondering. Like, I'm trying to figure out exactly. Well, let's do, let's let's do, do some, the news. Okay, let's do the news, but first let's do a little uh, housekeeping. Please join our Facebook group. We have a wonderful group that you can join at facebook.com uh, backslash Podcast. I believe. Uh, you'll find it, Game Brain Podcast on Facebook. We have a lovely burgeoning community there. Please join it, join in. We do polls, we ask questions, people talk, they ask game recs. It's a lot of fun. Uh, the, the poll for the first debate, uh, which was me and Tom, uh, Lacerda versus Rosenberg, uh, no controversy here at all. A little bit of controversy in the sense that Facebook does not allow you to set an end time for polls, which is ridiculous. All you can do is have the poll and then erase the poll, which seems silly. There should be a way to say this poll ends at this point and no voting can happen after that. Instead, you could just vote forever. So Tom and I, as I'm sure you all heard, agreed that the podcast would last one week. I gave it eight days because I was winning and I'm a nice person. Uh, and I won at the end of eight days. But the voting continued. And maybe, maybe Tom got some pity votes. Maybe people just didn't, didn't hear the instructions. Maybe people saw, you know, listened to it a week or two late, which is totally fine. And now I believe Tom is claiming victory. Um, and you know what? I'm going to give it to him. And I voted for him because Tom needs this. And I'm, I'm uh, a good you, guy. You don't want to reward this kind of behavior. <laughs> no, no, Trey, this is, my, this is my secret victory condition, is that I'm giving Tom the win. I'm, I'm giving, even though it was mine, by all rules set between us, I almost wish I am Tom was it here to, to Tom. 
you know, argue his side of the story, but Ooh. almost. And well, unfortunately, he's not. You win, Tom. Congratulations, big guy. There was you some, did it. There was Mommy and Daddy are going to take you out for ice creams. You did so good. We're so proud of you. You did a wonderful job, Tom. Were some of the voters named um, Moira and... <laughs> Sil- <laughs> we shouldn't name personal names. But there may have Tom been Schmonely, Cronobles. <laughs> yep, they were all people like that. Uh, we have a YouTube channel. We put up all of our reviews and clips from our podcast that are fun to listen to on our YouTube channel. It is Game Brain Podcast on YouTube. Uh, one last plug for my movie that I uh, incorrectly told you was coming out last Friday, which is actually coming out this Friday, uh, Dora and the Lost City of Gold. Yes, I wrote the Dora the Explorer movie. Uh, I was one of the uh, writers on it, credited. Uh, go and enjoy that. Help my family eat. We'd all appreciate that. Uh, Trey, any news from you before we move into the board game news? No, only Gen Con news. At, oh, I was in uh, Mount Vernon. Yep, you were there for work. Yeah, I went directly from uh, I went from L.A. to Washington D.C., Mount Vernon, and then went on to uh, Gen Con. So I'm just I'm completing my second Situation Room experience. These are educational simulations, and this is a semi LARPs, if you will, right? Yeah, um, they they're live action role. They would fall into that category. I think true LARPers would find them a little bit constraining because uh, sure. it's not it's not uh, you don't have, have quite as much agency as you might be used to right. in other LARPs because it's designed to give a little bit more structured uh, decisions for kids. But this is a little bit of like Hamilton, Ooh. the LARP. You go, you, you play a you know ninety minute game where you get to be President Washington or Secretary of the Treasury Hamilton or a senator from that time during the neutrality crisis. Right. That's fun. Yeah, it's fun. So we're, we're, we're wrapping that up and this, uh, this will be live and operational at Mount Vernon and the Ronald Reagan Library uh, starting this fall. So it'll be for both uh, school groups. Is it at a library in Mount Vernon? It's at the Washington Library the Washington at Mount library. Ver- Ooh, Vernon. The, the first presidential library. That is certainly the probably way. Not, that is the way they would like for you to think about. Probably it. not the first built. No, it's only built about eight years ago. It's not <laughs> part of the government. It's not uh, one of these official presidential uh, libraries, which only started this century. You know, right. halfway through this century. Every president gets a big library that's basically a museum to them. Yeah, and even that's changing. Right. Like Obama's will be a museum. It, like yeah. all of the um, archives and records will be kept in Washington going forward. So. Gotcha. <laughs> for you history nerds out yeah, there. I'm just sitting here trying to imagine the Trump one and sweating. Uh, let's talk about news. Shall we get into it, Trey? Yes. Good evening, Mr. Mr. Nob of South America and all the ships and clippers of sea. Let's go to press. Come I don't know why that was glitching out a little bit there. Uh, news for the week. Through the ages, expansion has finally been dated, street dated. Uh... It is a, one of my favorite games through the ages. If you've never played it, it's, I think, the best Civ building game out there. It's a long game, though. It takes three or four hours, but they've added more cards now. This is a new... This game has never had an expansion. I mean, the, this game, I think, came out first in, like, early, you know, aughts, teens. What do we call the 2010s? I still never know what to call those. The, the aughts, teens? The aughts, tens? I don't know. The tens. The teens? Sometime in the teens, it came out. Uh, and there's Feels never, longer, though. I feel like it's it been out for a long time. Yeah. Uh, but there's never been an expansion for it. The first expansion ever is coming out. It is called uh, New Leaders and Wonders, which just tells you what's in it. It's just New Leaders and Wonders <laughs> being thrown in. Very creative title. That's coming September 12th uh, to digital first, which is interesting. Digital first and then physical October 24th. Uh, Raiders of the North Sea, which is a game by the same people who made... Uh, Architects of the West Kingdom, which we reviewed last week, is out on digital now. If you've never played the board game and wanted to play the digital version, it is out on iOS, Android, 
and Switch, which I love the idea of all board games are now sort of coming to Switch as well, because that is a great way to play board games. Um, a lot of people love that game. Definitely check it out if you want to. I think it's eight bucks, either eight or nine bucks, one of those. It's decently priced, though. Definitely a lot cheaper than the physical board game. Zombicide Second Edition. What? They come, up with, they come out with like three different Zombicides a year, I feel like, and now they're just rebooting the entire thing. Simon, cool mini or not, they don't go by that anymore. They're just called Simon. They've announced Zombicide Second Edition coming sometime, I believe, in 2020. You've got a while for it. They've got a lot of Zombicide things happening because they announced last week that sort of crazy digital board Taburu, which is sort of mixing video games and board games. But now they're just doing a new version of Zombicide, completely redone rules. They're just, it's second edition, you know, all new stuff. And it looks like all the characters are kids. Like you're like kids. I don't know. It looks like kids. There's a lot of kids involved in the artwork. Kids killing zombies. Trey's just, his eyes are totally glazing over here. You lost uh, me at zombies. Yeah. Are there minis? Can I get lots of minis? All the minis. Is there dice rolling? Oh, only dice. I don't even, I just think it's a box of dice and, and minis. Uh, anyway, I'll be interested to see if they, if this will be Taburu, because I think all their games are now going to be on that platform, which is going to be an interesting thing for them to do, because if, it's a big investment to get that platform and then to start buying games for it. Uh, that's Zombicide Second Edition. Arkham Horror Final Hour. These are all the big games that were secretly announced at Gen Con this week. A lot of game companies, especially the big ones, are able to afford to develop in secret and then announce and launch at Gen Con and usually have demos there. This is because you, you would know this much better than I. Being at Gen Con, I feel like I know none of this. Right. You might, and you might, it's actually easier to learn this stuff not at Gen Con. Absolutely. You're just on the floor. And I'm just wondering around, just wandering around saying yeah. that looks cool. Right. No, I'm watching Twitter and seeing the press releases and all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. So Arkham Horror Final Hour. This is the, I think, 7,322nd game in the uh, Arkham Horror line at Final Fantasy Games. Uh, this is Arkham Horror in an hour, which is why it's called Arkham Horror Final Hour. Do you love Arkham Horror? You only have an hour? <laughs> okay. Check out Arkham Horror Final Hour. I still can't believe I haven't played the LCG. I, so many people love it. Yeah. We need to sit down. You bought you. I, I know you I have a copy. It. Yeah, you know it's well, here. I own a you, lot of games I yeah. haven't actually played. That's part of I my I love damage. the Arkham Horror card game. I have played the Arkham Horror board game once. It's okay. It's to me, like most co-ops, at, at the end, it feels like an efficiency oh, so we're talking puzzle. about the board game here. We're not, yeah. This is not LCG. No, no, this, the is one a, that, this is a new board game. So okay. they've released many versions of Arkham Horror, and it seems like the main thing they're tweaking is the playtime. So there's, there's normal Arkham Horror, which can take five, six hours. Then there's that Arkham Horror they released a couple of years ago, which I think is like two hours, three so hours. So you can be consumed by an elder god or go insane in under in an, an hour. hour. Yeah. yeah, and then the earlier views of this, people say... This is going to replace Arkham Horror for a lot of them. I think they feel like it sort of they've they've gotten efficient at capturing the experience in shorter periods of time. So that's interesting if you like Arkham Horror. Um, I definitely like the world, uh, but I have a hard time thinking why I'd play anything other than the card game if I wanted to get into that world. Uh, this is the big announcement of uh, the weekend. Uh, Fantasy Flight Games has a new LCG. They usually announce a new LCG every year or every other year. This is a big deal. And this is going to be their biggest hit ever. This is going to outsell everything. I'm saying right now, this is you're calling your shot. This is going to be an insane. Or is that part of the announcement? This is no. no. (laughs) When you hear what it is, it's Marvel Champions, the card game. This is you're buying decks of superheroes. Buy your Captain America deck. Your, uh, you know, Doctor Strange deck. Your whatever. Your Iron Man deck. And you have a certain amount of cards that have to go in the deck. 
and then you can deck build outside of sort of neutral cards and other cards and things like that. And then you and your friends, it's a co-op game, just like uh, Arkham Horror, you and your friends pick a boss to go up against. This sounds a lot to me like a game called Sentinels of the Multiverse, uh, which I played, which is interesting to me. It was a little fiddly. There was a little too much going on in terms of having to track things, and it just sort of took me out of the experience. Um, that's, this is going to be massive. I mean, everybody in the world is going to want to buy, get into an LCG that is Marvel. I mean, the, the fact that they have this license, this is the first Marvel game for Fantasy Flight Games, as far as I know, um, seems like it's going to be a big deal. This has sort of seemed to, seemed to sort of take up most of the talk of the week of people being insanely excited for a Marvel yeah, I think, I think Fantasy you're right. Flight At the same time, I, I guess I'm, I'm balking on the cooperative thing. I mean, the... Um, well, it, Arkham Har's cooperative. Yeah, you're going up against the scenario. I don't It'll know why that thing. doesn't appeal to me. The going Lord of the up Rings. The Lord of the Rings is, is uh, well. So what to me? There's a huge amount of replayability in it. In that there is a story and mm-hmm. there is sort of an optimal way to do it. But there's enough variability in how it comes out that it that. But the real variability to me is in well, now I'm going to take this character through the adventure mm-hmm. and it will play totally differently because this character is a completely different set so of strategies. This for is to not a things. competitive game. No, no, no. This is a co-op game. Right. So this is, they have, they have three big co-op games. They have Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. they have Arkham Horror, and now they have Marvel. I'm sure they know that that model is working well for them. Yeah, people love it because there's, look, most, I'd say most board gamers sort of prefer co-op games. I mean, they're massive. I mean, it's... Well, it, co- competitive games also, like, I think this is a problem Game of Thrones LCG is experiencing, is that competitive games almost like wean out their entire player base eventually right. right right because one person wins one person loses and that can be very that's not fun right to and, and you get priced out because you have to buy everything so like and co-ops are nice because there right. is no it's not magic the gathering but you're still like to buy into game of thrones oh, right now would be 500 dollars minimum yeah something like that yeah marvel champions though you don't have to buy anything you don't want to buy because you're not you don't have mm-hmm. to be competitive right you can and most of these games are very soloable in fact, of course they are. They're all soloable. Any co-op game is soloable. And people really are drawn to that because I can play alone. I can play with my wife. I can play with my boyfriend. I can play with my friends. I can buy what I want. I don't have to feel like I'm missing anything because you know, there's no meta. Right. Um, like you, you do this all the time, right? You, you play a lot of games yeah, solo. Not, or you play, you play cooperative games solo, individually. Yeah. I, if I'm going to play a cooperative game, I'd usually probably rather play it solo. Unless, because to me, it, I, I don't know. Like if, I, if I have a bunch of friends over, it's just more fun for us to attack each other. Right. Attack, yeah, I agree. But like, to me, it's a better way of interactivity. I don't like the, like, there's just no umph in sitting down and like all solving a puzzle together. Yeah. That gets, I don't Maybe know. Maybe my mentality is like, if, uh, if Trey wins a game in the woods and nobody hears it, yeah. then, it ha- then it didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, no, I see, I, I really get, for co-op games, it's, it's all about story for me. Like, that's how I get into it. I have to get immersed in the story. It has to feel like I'm sitting down and picking up a novel that I'm, that I'm involved in. And exploring um, it. Yeah, exactly. And that, to me, is that's why Gloomhaven is so great at that, and Seven Continents, and Arkham Horror. It feels like I'm sitting down and, and reading a book or watching a TV show or something and getting involved in it. Um, that's Marvel Champions. It's coming out uh, by the end of this year. It's going to be a huge hit. Most people listening to this right now are going, okay, I'm going to buy everything of that. Um, oh, and, and oh, this is the biggest news. If you are a, 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 an LCG player, are you ready for this? You do not have to buy more than one core set. First time ever that Fantasy Flight Games has not made you buy multiple core sets to have every copy of the core set cards. Every copy of the core set cards necessary is in one core set. For clarity, 
Game of Thrones LCG, you get every copy of the core set. It's just that you if get you want one. three of each, which is the you need to buy three core sets. You need to buy three core sets and to have to play three the game, copies you need because to buy that's, three core that's a core rule is that right. you cannot have more than three of a single right. card. So with Marvel Champions, you buy one core set, you will have as many copies of the cards as you need. In one course, that first time they've ever done that. Usually, are people get... balking at the two hundred dollar price tag? <laughs> no, it's a normal price tag. I think it's like you know sixty bucks or something. But usually, you had to or forty, fifty bucks. Usually, you had to do that three times. So, to, like when I well, I had Game to, of Thrones I had to, course that was thirty, right? Yeah, thirty online, maybe store forty. But yeah, that's like, oh, it's, okay. a, it's easy a hundred bucks just to just just to get the base game. So that they've they've stopped doing that. I think there. Was well, I got my back. money's worth. Yeah, no, we all did. I think on those things. But I'm really happy to hear they're doing that. Um, Last bit of news. Oh, two more. Sorry. Uh, a really cool. Uh, another card game that's been announced is Eric M. Lang has announced Cyberpunk 2077 Afterlife, the card game. This is the first. Uh, this is from Simon as well. I think Eric has a deal with Simon. He makes most of his games there. Uh, this is a card game version of the video game coming uh, at the end of this year, Cyberpunk right. 2077. This is the first board game announced in that world. Eric M. Lang is the most exciting designer for a property like that, I can imagine. That's right. He's like the first name you think of, of like if they're going to do a property yeah. and they want established game designer. Yeah. That's, this is the Steven Spielberg of board games. Uh, he was a Gen Con sighting. Yeah, I've never been to a convention and not seen Nazis. He's, 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 he's Nobody amazing. works harder. Uh, he is... Nobody has announced yet what this is. We don't know if this is co-op. We don't know if this is competitive. I'm praying this is Netrunner in a box. Mm-hmm. That's what I want. That would be best I for want you. Netrunner in a box without expansions, without just this, this set gives me the Netrunner experience and I can play against one other person. That's what I'm hoping it is. Last bit of news, also from Eric M. Lang. If you liked Blood Rage, if you liked Rising Sun, the trilogy shall be completed. Simon has announced Ankh, A-N-K-H, the Egyptian-themed mini-heavy new game from Eric M. Lang and the artist uh, whose name is Adrian Smith, uh, who did all the art for uh, those games, has now announced the, the final game in the trilogy. Didn't know this was a trilogy until now. Guess it is. Blood Rage, Rising Sun, and now Ankh. Uh, the Kickstarter will be coming later this year and uh, end of 2019. Plays between two and five. It's going to make $400 million billion and be a big hit. Dude is a professional. Yeah. No, he makes all the games. Uh, that is the news. Let's talk about games on the brain. My, oh, oh, we have a jingle for this. this Hold on. This is the point where I, I possibly interrupt you. Mm. Should we continue to wing this? You have sent me the show notes from last week. Oh, <laughs> so interesting. I can continue just to, to wing it here. No, but. I'm going to send you the right show notes as we talk about this. And here is the theme song for this. Good evening, Mr. Mr. Nob of South America. All the ships and clippers at sea. Let's go to France. I played Game News again. Here's the right one. Terror from Mars, Forbidden Stars, Heaven and Ale, Great Western Trail, Too Many Bones, Game of Thrones, Oregon, Avalon, Crokinole, Blood Bowl, Time Stories, Categories, Woven Flames, Codenames, Rising Sun, Cash and Guns, Scripts and Scribes, Five Tribes, Web of Power, Keyflower, Mage Knife, Arkwright, Escape Plan, Wingspan, Games on the Brain. I don't know why it's glitching out. That's annoying me. Uh, my Games on the Brain this week are all the games that I was excited for Trey to bring back from Gen Con for me. Um, I did pretty well. You did fantastic. I have a stack of games in front of me that I am wildly excited about. Uh, Maybe don't talk about one of them? Yeah. I won't talk about any of them right now. Okay, good call. But the games that are on my brain are the games that Trey brought me. And we will, we will, you, I don't want to spoil them because it's a part of Trey's story is, uh, <laughs> is getting these games for me. Uh, and we're going to hear that. Or not. Right. 
Um, what games did we play at this week's game night? Uh, it was a small game night. We only had six of us here, an unusual number. Um, and we split into two threes and we played Tokyo Metro. Uh, it was myself and, oh geez, who was it? <laughs> My brain is so crazy. I wasn't here. Uh, well, Paul and Dimitri and Elder played uh, Energy Empire, Manhattan Energy Empire, which is a great game. It is a great game. And we, uh, myself and, oh geez. Jesse, no, I don't know. Whose feelings are you going to hurt now? Yeah, I seriously, I, my brain is so fried from the work week. Uh, Tokyo Metro is what we played, and that's what we're going to be reviewing this week. Oh, good. Um, I missed one, one interesting piece of news. Sorry, uh, this was a correction. I think one of the first corrections we've ever had on Game Brain Podcast. I uh, incorrectly stated on last week's episode that Elizabeth Hargrave, the uh, designer of Wingspan was the first female board game designer to win a Spiel des Jahres. That is incorrect. Uh, that serves me right for getting my news from other podcasts sometimes. Um, the, uh, in 2011, the Spiel des Jahres went to Susan McKinley Ross for Quirkle. And in 2012, uh, Inca Brand uh, was one of the designers on Village, one of my favorite games, uh, and that won the Kinderspiel de Jahres. And I'd like to thank Seth Jaffe, friend of the show and uh, great designer, who uh, corrected me on that on uh, our Facebook group. Don't forget to join our Facebook group, and you can correct me yourself on there. We're happy to be corrected. Happy to be corrected. Um, we, may, we need some correcting. Always. Uh, no updates on the 8 challenge this week. I'm sorry. We're bad. We're not good people. We've messed it up. It was a busy week for everyone. It was a crazy busy week. Um, Trey, we are now going to take people inside Gen Con. If you're listening, I want you to close your eyes. I want to add one little... No, Trey. No. <laughs> the voice you hear other than my smug tones uh, will be Matt, our friend Matt Patterson. Mm. So he, he's kind of yes. like my wingman in all of this. So when you hear the actual funny comments, that's from... I'm sure Matt will sometimes be on the show. And, and usually when Trey is talking to, to, to says the name Matt, he's not talking about me, although there are a few times he is talking Right. About it me. can be confusing. This is not Jewish Matt. Right. <laughs> Matt Patterson is not, I am Jewish Matt. He is not Jewish Matt. That's, that's how we refer to each other in the game group. <laughs> it's still surprising to most people. Uh, yes. Uh, this is Trey's journey into Gen Con. It's about 15 minutes. It's very enjoyable. We may pop in uh, every once in a while and pause, but I, Your call. I, we're going to try to let it run. Uh, Trey, take us to Gen Con. Start eight, July 31, 209 PM, Ronald Reagan airport, kitchen flight to Indianapolis, Gen Con. Got a gate full of nerds, board gamers, gamers of all type, ready to go, geek out. Okay, update number two. We're here at the Indianapolis airport, waiting for our lift. We are benefiting from surge pricing. How much is it going to be? This is going to cost at least a board game without an expansion set. And we have to wait an additional 18 minutes in order to get picked up. I'm surrounded by hundreds of nerds waiting for their ride share. Not a good start. Okay, update number three. We've checked into the uh, downtown Marriott, Indianapolis, and we've been sitting in line for five minutes for the elevator to our room. This is really probably the single most popular event on Wednesday. It's called Loadout. And uh, what you do is you take all the games and everything that you brought because clearly if you haven't brought at least 40 pounds of luggage, you're like the worst nerd. And uh, that takes a, quite a bit of time to load in load out from the car and into your room and there are fights there are fights it appears as if of a bank of six elevators only three are operational so more bad start here at gen con 2019 gen con update 
Wednesday night, first night here. Everyone still has a lot of energy. No one's too tired yet. Uh, so we are walking to uh, the Hyatt. Then we will go to the uh, Marriott. We're dropping off an air mattress for your step goddaughter, not stepdaughter, right? And then we're going to be meeting up with some other friends for some first night drunken stupidity. We just had uh, drinks with Tim League, the uh, creator of the Alamo Drafthouse yes. movie theaters and the, the birth of a chain and a and Mondo Games. Yeah, Mondo Mondo Games specifically for this a new venture for the Alamo Empire. So we've just crossed the street. We're outside the uh, convention center. We're going to be going. Are we going to be going past the will call line where people will still be lined up? A half mile line, probably still. Well, we'll see it from. No, we're fine. I don't know, Trey, if you talked about really the most impressive bit of networking that you did, where you were invited to have a sauna with Tim League in the Los Angeles Athletic Club, which I think is the most impressive score of any kind of this convention. How did I score that, Matt? I don't. No, well, it could be, it's the same uh, company that owns them, but um, I am a big fan. I was recently introduced to um, probably one of the, uh, it's, it's like the Overlook Hotel of Athletic Clubs, but for uh, Los Angeles, it's like you've always worked out there, and Trey was invited to do sauna there with uh, one of the Big names in theatrical distribution. Trey, congratulations. Yeah, we'll see if that still happens. We're now transitioning to our friend Dan O'Hanlon, the uh, writer and designer of the Deep Space 10 series, LARPs here at Gen Con. Very popular. Well, I will be in about a day and a half. Hopefully, I'll have finished it by then. That's right. We've just found out that Dan, uh, it's Wednesday night here at Gen Con. His event's on Friday, and he has not completed writing the LARP. How typical is that, Dan? Uh, this will be the second of three times that it's happened. And for some reason, you like telling everyone that the LARP is not yet completed. Is this a way of lowering expectations so that we're surprised when we have a good time? No, it's specifically to try to shame myself into not f***ing up next year, which this is not going to succeed next year either. It never does work. It will never work. Because it's not as if you're going to stop having a good time and actually do some work tonight, or will you? Will you ruin your own fun in order to protect your artistic integrity? My goal is to actually get up earlier than everybody else tomorrow and finish it. That sounds like a terrible plan. Well, what's fun is that eventually it won't be a terrible plan. Um, it'll just be... Because next year you'll be on top of it. Oh, no. Goodness, no. I'm going to keep on rolling up this... I thought this was the lie you would tell yourself. I'm going to keep rolling this LARP up this hill like Sisyphus until I get there, damn it. Deep Space 10 has nothing to do contractually with Deep Space 9 in any way. Look, we must imagine the GMs to be happy. Wednesday night, signing out. Okay, Matt, what time is it? It is exactly 10 a.m. It's exactly 10 a.m. We are waiting for the doors to open, and we are nowhere near them. So this is going to be ugly. I, I think it should take about three days to get into the dealer's room. And uh, we've brought, we've, we each have 16-ounce uh, coffees. I have some energy bars. Trey, what, what supplies did you bring? Uh, I've already consumed my energy bars uh, and one full coffee, but... Um, What's our, is our thinking that the doors will actually open at 10, or will we stand here like idiots for a lot longer? I think that this is more going to be a 10-15 situation. Um, however, I remembered that I brought my 10-foot pole, 
and I think this can get us. I have my lucerne hammer and 50 feet of rope. Oh, yeah, tempered pole is all you need. So this is not looking good for Matt's wish list for uh, board games at this time. Okay, our predictions were wrong. We're moving. No, that was an illusion. It was just the just the crowd compacting. More updates to come. Okay, this is game brain. Pause right here. I think uh, Trey wanted to uh, explain something that's about to happen here. Okay, so we're we're standing outside the yeah, dealer the scene, hall. Trey, so if you want to go like YouTube and enter in like doors opening Gen Con 2019, this is a massive rush of people to get into the dealer it's probably, hall. Probably honestly about 30, 40,000 people. It's tens of thousands of yeah, people tens of thousands. and a number of titles will disappear within the first 15 minutes. Right, everybody of the convention. stands in a giant crowd waiting for the doors to open and then they pour in and run in order to get in line. Lots of limited hours. things that you can only get and will sell out immediately. And um, while we're waiting there, we look to our right and there is an adorable woman dressed as a suffragette. This is Game Brain Podcast. And please tell me what your cosplay does. Um, I'm cosplayed as a Victorian Londoner suffragette. So you are a British suffragette. You are not an American. So you're not playing a specific woman here. You are just a woman who wants to vote in the British parliamentary system. So how's it going so far? Um, it's going pretty well. We're uh, rioting around. Right. So how long until you actually get the vote? I have no idea. We just started. Way to stay in character. I'm very impressed. Sorry for making you break. What is that? Yeah, no. <laughs> so did you make this costume yourself? Uh, no, I didn't. Am I wrong to refer to it as a costume? No, I actually did use it in a play, so that's where it's from. What play were you uh, in when you played a British suffragette? Yeah, um, I was in a school play, actually, um, and I was one of the villains in this costume. A suffragette was the villain or this... What kind of play was this? Poisoner? It was a Sherlock Holmes. Oh. It's a Sherlock Holmes play. In which the villain is a woman who wants to vote. This sounds awful. How did you agree to do such a horrible project? Well, okay, so here's the backstory. So Moriarty is still in it. So he's the main villain, obviously. So I was working for Moriarty. My disguise was being a suffragette. Oh, I see. So you're not, you're a faker suffragette. Got it. But what if she accidentally, as the villain, forwarded the cause for women the right to whip? For what if you accidentally got women the right to vote? I'm pretty sure I did accidentally. I had a pretty good speech. Thank you very much. <laughs> Trey, I'm pausing real quick there. Uh, how much cosplay do we see at Gen Con? Um, you see a lot in the convention hall, uh, especially because there's a space specifically for it, where you right. can go and be photographed. Um, and then... Now, Gen Con is a board game convention, so are people... It's a game convention. It's a game, board but are, games But are people... One. Yeah, that's true. That's just a part of it. You're right. It's just part are of it. people cosplaying game characters mainly? Because this Some. person was just cosplaying a historical figure. <laughs> she just had a costume from a play. Right. Um, no, I mean, I, people, it's fun to, it's fun to like, put on cosplay and go to conventions. It's not Comic-Con. Right. But it is Comic-Con like, light, and there will be serious cosplayers doing their serious cosplay thing. There will be, uh, I think there's a contest. Right. No, no, definitely, yeah. But is it, mo it's not like you don't see like Superman walking around and like. You do. Oh, really? There's, so there's superhero stuff too. Yeah, but it will be more fantasy uh, concentrated. A lot of Overwatch maybe, I'm guessing. Didn't see a lot of Overwatch, huh? No, but you know, I, I don't actually spend that much time in the convention center because of my you know, LARP century. We'll get to that yeah. later, but um, 
No, and then there's LARPers themselves who are in costume for their games. Right. So that's different. There. But they won't you won't see them in the in the convention hall. Whereas you you'll see plenty of people walking around in the convention hall buying games completely costumed and right. stopping and people taking pictures of them. So it is it is Comic Con light right. in that regard. Well, her costume sounded awesome. Uh, uh, well, we're gonna, we, we can throw a picture up on the website. Oh, great. Uh, didn't I send you one? Or no. I will. I will. Okay. Will. We, okay. we have a picture here. Awesome. All right. Once again, we're moving towards show doors. notes. That doesn't mean the doors have actually opened. This could just be people being crushed by eager people. Possibly the doors have opened. It seems possible. We're moving. Matt Robinson's dreams of getting Black Angel live or die in the next five minutes. Okay, here's the problem. In the act of jamming the recorder into my bag and pulling it out again, I managed to switch switch the input on the recorder from the built-in mic to the two external line inputs. I think you know where this is going. There were no external inputs, so the rest of the segments I recorded from Thursday are blank. That means that my interview with Raymond Chandler III, the designer of City of Big Shoulders, does not exist. My interview with Matthew Fox, the co-designer of Mega City Oceana, does not exist. I should have noticed that I was not getting levels on the recorder, but I was in full fanboy mode, and I was paying attention to the games and to the designers of the games that I did not notice that I was not getting levels on the recorder. So I have to reconstruct for you now the moment of abject horror and dread that I experienced not when I learned that I had deleted these or not recorded these interviews, but when I saw the line that existed in order to enter the Asmodee store. This line was not just long, it encircled the Asmodee store pretty much a full 300 degrees and then completely ran all the way up one of the rows for the entire width of the uh, convention floor. So of the 220 copies that were supposedly available for the game at um, on Thursday morning, and supposedly for the entire con, only about 100 copies remained uh, mere 10 minutes after the doors had opened, and to get to this line would have been conservatively an hour. I had to run a game at 2. It wasn't happening. All hope was lost. Matt's dream had died. Okay, here's the Gen Con update for Thursday. Uh, ran my event, Toil and Trouble. Went very well. This was like running a six-person LARP for six different groups. Only one person didn't show up, and I had booked 37, so uh, that happened. Let's pause real quick there. What is is your toil and trouble LARP, Trey? Okay, so I'm part of... We've done some events at Gen Con before. Iocane Productions, you go to Facebook, type in Iocane Productions, like Iocane Powder from... Princess Bride. Princess Bride. Uh, We did... A bunch of Battlestar Galactica LARPs. We did a bunch of Game of Thrones LARPs. Um, don't have time to write LARPs for this year, especially because I was the only one going. No Tom, no Mark right. now. You guys usually all do it together. That's right. But I wanted to kind of um, curate a game uh, that I had played and knew that the people who had done our LARPs in the past would really like. And this was Somebody it. else wrote this LARP, and you were going to GM it, in a sense. That's right. But it's a, it's a LARP for six people, mm. and instead I ran it for 36 people. So like it's six pods. That's right. Like six shards of the, of the same game all running uh, pretty much in the same time in relatively uh, the same space. Um, 
and it went really well. Uh, it was really, it's really well written. LARP, the whole thing plays out in just 90 minutes. And then I did, I thought it might be a problem that everyone was kind of like uh, on top of each other. And then we would have kind of a common uh, debrief, but it, that turned out to be a little bit of like, actually a positive because everyone got to hear how the game went differently in each of these six instances. And we oh, got fun. And we got really different uh, results depending it's on like the groundhog's day. Or just like different players produce very different sure. results that were very interesting. Different uh, timelines. One of the options in this game, the, the concept behind this game is it's kind of Macbethy. Three witches, three heroes, and the witches are going to conduct a ritual to determine which of these heroes will be king of the land, which of these heroes will be happy. One of these heroes is going to die. Hmm. And then the king makes a bunch of decisions about things that happen in the land that can affect the witches. And there's a very good chance, depending on how things go, that the witches will establish a witchtocracy that overthrows the government. So they're trying to like uh, start a civil war or a peasant uprising that can make conditions, you know, ripe for a uh, witch uprising. And in two out of six games, the, the, the witches did indeed conquer. Nice. That's amazing. All right. Just wanted to give a little brief explanation of that. We're back. Then uh, Matt and I participated in the uh, Casablanca, here's looking at you, Squid, Cthulhu game. Uh, the highlight of my game was uh, attempting to get in. Okay, sorry, what? <laughs> what? Okay, oh, oh, what? <laughs> Say that again? Uh, maybe not Cthulhu game, but... Casablanca love- Cthulhu? Okay, so everyone's familiar with the movie Casablanca. Sure. Uh, our friends at MU Skulls uh, tend to run... Uh, Cthulhu LARPs or Lovecraft LARPs are a big genre within LARPing because it's like like the the Arkham horror theme is the Arkham horror theme, but it's Lovecraftian, but it's especially liberating because these are all uh, one shots. You know, you're not leveling up your character. You're, you're not trying to get, you're not a vampire trying to gain more power. You know, in these games, typically you're going to die or go insane or have your soul consumed. And so that can be liberating from a, place uh, point of view but this particular one they've run up like a very successful number of years ago um titanic lovecraft larp where the, the explanation mm-hmm. for why the titanic sank is that it was you know dragged down by you know an elder god right rather than an iceberg right um and it had some very clever mechanics where the game half the first half of the game was played on the ship and then the second half of the game is when we're in, in a room uh which is uh, replacing lifeboats where we're all slowly drowning, except for the people who have chairs. Right, right. Uh, and there's not enough chairs uh, sure. to go around, and everyone's insane. Um, but this is kind of like taking um, Casablanca and then throwing in a Nazi plot to, or an cultist plot to free some elder guys. Ah, uh, I see. Okay. Got it. All right, coming back. Into fisticuffs with uh, Rick and being uh, actually physically injured by a member of the French uh, Vichy police who attempted to intercede and ended up cutting my nose <laughs> open with his nail. So that's why we don't ever even pretend to do violence in a LARP. Isn't that right, Matt? I, I now know what that mark is on your nose. That's right. I was fake slapping Rick at, cafe, at Rick's Cafe American, and uh, the police interceded. I was playing a... Uh, I missed it. I did, I missed you didn't realize that's what happened. And I didn't understand until later that I had a big thing of blood. Does this does this make any sense to you, Matt? At yeah, all? you you were fake slapping someone at Rick's. This Cafe. is my friend uh, Chad McAllister, and we have a, a long running tradition of uh, of insulting one another in LARPs. It's really what Chad wants to do most of all, and uh, so generally one of us will he has have like a jerk fantasy. He wants to be like a like a jerk. Yeah, pestering people through character. 
Right. And so we have, we have a long tradition, for example, of like having a white glove and you know, d- drawing yeah. across D'Artagnan. Exactly. Yeah. And taking great offense and challenging each other to duels in which both people tend to be humiliated. And he accidentally cut your nose. And he I, did I, not. He oh. did not. Actually, that's the thing is that it's a third person did not understand that we had established this as something that we do. So when I kind of swiped my hand just as a gesture of like, I'm as if I'm slapping you in the moment being in character, he was protecting Rick. And so he threw his hand out violently to stop me. And when he threw his hand out, that's what ended up like hitting me in the face. Wait, this person thought you were about to assault him? And he didn't think about it. It was just a, re- that's the thing. That's he the like dangerous the thing. or something? <laughs> he oh, had like no. lightning fast reflexes. He, and like, he did. He, he like got, stopped he a, got me a good. slap mid slap. It's hard to do. I, this is a semi-serious topic here, which is that when you are playing LARPs, you emotionally get very involved. Right. But never so you're, that's why you have to be not physical because your your barriers for doing physical things are gone. Right. Right. That's why it has to be explicit. No violence. And you never touch somebody else in a LARP. You're not supposed to, but right. it happens all the time. Right. It's a problem. You, like you want to prevent things. Like if we have mechanics in which I can shoot you, you don't want people grabbing the gun out of yeah, your hand yeah, as sure. that happened to me this year. And it was it was fine, but it's just like this is because LARP, you get very emotionally in all yeah. you can screw up yeah. and people can get hurt and it's happened. Gotcha. Emotionally too. Oh yeah. On the end of my nose. That's great. LARPing should not be physical people. Um, I played uh, Nazi German rocket scientist uh, Werner von Braun. And uh, at the conclusion of this game, America will not be developing a uh, space program. Uh, Matt, what's, what was the highlight of your day yesterday? Well, I, I was the Peter Lorre character uh, in that, and um, but unlike uh, the movie Casablanca, where Peter Lorre died in the first ten minutes, I weaseled my way to living until I was consumed by maggots at the very end. Uh, so I I consider that an accomplishment because uh, his character got two extra days to live, but usually hiding from the police and selling out his friends. Uh, then I think my second favorite thing on yesterday was the part that I had totally forgot, which was us going and recording this podcast on the floor, which I swear I swear to myself was the night before. Yeah, we've got kind of like a time uh, time loss going on in our, in our head. All right, here's the plan for today. Uh, we are going to be participating in a Deep Space 10 LARP. Yes. Uh, and then uh, this evening we're in a kind of odd... American pre-revolutionary war Harry Potter LARP. So we'll we'll see how that goes. Okay, again, after break in, at this point on Friday, Matthew Robinson had received my text message that I about the great interviews I had recorded of Raymond Chandler the Third and Matthew Fox, and he was excited about what a great job I was doing. And Matthew messaged me that I should go back to the convention hall and go ahead and buy the City of Big Shoulders expansion, which I hadn't bought because I didn't think we needed it, but now Matt wanted it because it was limited and it was all the special Kickstarter stuff that you know makes Matt so excited. Uh, but he also messaged me that Asmodi had received a second pallet of Black Angel on Friday morning. So somehow I saw this first message about the expansion, but not the second one about Black Angel. And so on Friday, I did not go and buy a copy of Black Angel. And again, for the second time, the game sold out. Okay, Saturday morning update. Um, we're going to have trouble making our 1 o'clock event. <laughs> the 
Got back to the room about five last night. Yeah, we were board gaming. Uh, highlights of yesterday uh, included uh, Deep Space 10, in which my half Betazoid Rear Admiral of the Federation was pretty much the only survivor of the invasion of uh, Cardassia. Yeah. Both my two uh, ex-Klingon lovers and my uh, daughter from my first marriage were killed in the evasion. Um, Matt, any highlights for you? I don't think I told you this earlier, Trey, but uh, my Mirror Universe character was about to steal your starship. So good game. Our second game was an odd uh, Harry Potter LARP set in pre-Revolutionary War America. 1794 pre-Revolutionary War, which confused me to no end. I played a British uh, professor who's trying to put down rebellion and failing, a real, a real jerk. <laughs> and I was a student who was really into Quidditch, but I kept pronouncing it with the American pronunciation, and, uh, and I kept getting head injuries. Okay, I've made it to the Asmodee line. I just am able to physically see copies of Black Angels, so I'm getting in line. Let's see how it goes. So can you give me the Black Angel update? We have it. You got an additional shipment, right? Yes. You got one this morning. Hallelujah. 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 Indeed, he did get me a copy of Black Angel. Um, Trey, thank you very much for, for taking us into Gen Con. Yeah, with I'm, a I apologize. As I got deeper into the con and was having more and more fun, the, uh, the updates started getting. Yeah, it I, kept, I just kept forgetting to do them and giving you these retroactive things. It's but hard to record when you're at a con. I, I did an episode. I was having a great time, so I don't yeah. feel that bad. I did an episode uh, of our Essen trip on my old podcast, right. Get Up On This, and uh, it, was, it was a lot of work <laughs> carrying around the microphone and stuff. But, um, it, it, but it helped, right, that you had Tom who can always talk. And Yeah, I, I was able I to hand to, the mic to yeah. you and Tom when we were there, and it definitely made it a lot easier. It's hard to do it on your own, um, although you did have Matt Patterson, who was great. Um, so we're looking at a stack here. Yeah, we're looking at a stack of games here. I sent Trey with a list of games that I would like uh, in order of importance. He did really well. He got, he got my top three. Uh, top four, actually. I'd say he, got all, he, he did really well. Uh, we have City of the Big Shoulders, which I'm very excited about. Uh, we will attempt to get an interview with uh, Raymond Chandler III at some point because I, I would really love to talk to him about it. Um, Looks great. Got Mega City Oceania, which is a strategic dexterity game from uh, Jordan Draper, who is the designer of Tokyo Metro we'll be talking about today, as well as Michael Fox. Uh, not Michael J. Fox, different Michael Fox. We got the uh, Teotihuacan uh, late pre-classic era expansion, which I'm very excited about. And then the Pièce de Résistance, Black Angel, from Sébastien Desjardins, my very favorite board game designer and designer of my favorite game of all time. Yeah, most anticipated game probably of the last couple of years for you, I would say. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Big time. It's, I've been anticipating this since he announced it many years ago. Yeah. Um, They're sitting in front of me on the table. I'm very excited to have them. I did do... I'm going to do... This, I'm going to read this one because I wrote a little... Uh, I, I did my top 10 most anticipated games oh, cool. of Gen Con. Mm -hmm. uh, it was up on Reddit. Uh, did pretty well on Reddit. Oh. Uh, so I wanted to read you my top 10 really quick. Uh, just so you can know the games that I'm most excited about that debuted at Gen Con. Most of these I have on my way to me or are sitting in front of me right now. City of the Big Shoulders, 18xx meets Arkwright, stock manipulation and worker placement. After reading the rulebook, I'm kind of feeling like this is my dream game. 
and I am at the moment. The, the one I want to get to the table first, maybe even before Black Angel. I know. What? That's crazy. My number two is Black Angel, the spiritual sequel to Twa, my favorite game of all time, Twa in Space. I've read the rules and think I'm in love. It is very heavy. The only reason this isn't my number one is because I don't get to scratch my 18xx itch enough, and City of the Big Shoulders looks like it can do that. But this is potentially a tie for my number one. My number three is Mega City Oceania. Not a big dexterity gamer. In fact, I would say I am a dexterity non-gamer. But this is the first dex game I've ever been excited for, probably because it looks like it actually involves strategy, and it's gorgeous, and it's by a designer we're currently infatuated with, Jordan Draper and Michael There's Fox. a dexterity element. I'm There's not sure. a big dexterity cent- element. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. That may not be great for me, but my understanding is it's like a sliding. Yeah, yeah. You build a thing, and then the dexterity is making it survive as it... The as island, it, you build it on joints. As it moves to its floating city in the yeah, center. Its location, yeah. Uh, I'm excited to play this for our group as we could always use more silly laughs in our games. Teo to Wakan, late per classic period. Asymmetrical powers and new strategies will breathe life into the last into last year's best Euro. Could potentially take this one from very good to classic status. Letter Jam, a cooperative word game. Lots of writers in our group. This one should go over well. QE, uh, which I have ordered and is on its way to me. The Estates Meets Avalon. What? A bidding game where you can bid any amount of money you can think of. The person who bid the most at the end is eliminated from winning. The amount the winning bidder bids is secret information, but you can once per game, Lady of the Lake style, take secret peaks for information. Feels like this one could either be a massive hit with our group or someone in our group will break it on turn one and we'll never play it again. Paul. Unmatched Battle of Legends Volume 1. This is the game from Mondo Games. Uh, Trey mentioned uh, uh, that they had a uh, they had drinks with Tim League, the CEO of Alamo Drafthouse chain of movie Yeah, theaters. we met a bunch of the Mondo and people, Mondo especially games. Jay Shaw. Um, was there demoing the game. There was a whole Mondo team. I did not think I was going to be excited about this game, but then I saw a demo and... I really liked what I saw a lot. Oh, amazing. It's, I mean, it's Rob Davio uh, design, but it's a one-on-one tactical Skirmish game, yeah. card combat game. No dice. Dice, no dice at all. You, each person plays a card each turn, and then you reveal and you figure out um, what happens. So there's a lot of kind of those yomi moments right. of what are you going to do? I think you're going to do this. And so I play this thing. Um, and, and the theme is really fun. It takes... It takes it does the thing you did as a kid where you're like Superman versus Robin Hood. Like it takes all the fun characters from literature or fiction, sometimes movies. So right now they have released uh, Medusa and Alice in Wonderland and King Arthur. And there's, I think there's four core characters yep. in that kind of core box. And then like you King can, Arthur, Bigfoot. Yeah, no, well, that Bigfoot and Robin is a separate. Robin, Bigfoot oh, and Robin Hood is a separate box, okay. and then Bruce Lee is a, an exclusive okay. uh, character they'll be releasing. Uh, but Mondo Tees, or Mondo, as they go now, used to be known for uh, t-shirts and posters, and now they've gotten into... Usually known for posters. Yeah, and now they've gotten into board games. They did the thing, the out, uh, Outpost 30, so it was the mm-hmm. thing game, uh, and now this is obviously a big deal for them, which is... The art for this series. game is amazing. Kind of everything Mondo does is yeah. incredibly well uh, designed. So, uh, we, Trey didn't grab a copy of this at the con, but we were going to be getting one, hopefully from Mondo, uh, and we'll be reviewing that shortly. I'm excited to play it with Jake, as I think he'll really enjoy it it's a it seems like a really fun two-player game i'm excited to play it right, i good. didn't think i would be but I, I am uh number eight is ragusa uh this game is weird as hell i'm very excited to see how it plays in our group plays in an hour very abstract and thinky game with very very low luck i feel like this game is going to have some first player issues as there are clearly optimal first moves but excited to explore the space um the designer has addressed the potential first player issues on uh forums and assures people that it is not an issue that was just my initial hunch after looking at the board and reading the rules 
Uh, number nine is Ishtar Gardens of Babylon. I am always down to try a new Bruno Cathala game. This seems to be the big medium weight euro of the con. Uh, Bruno Cathala, of course, who did uh, Five Tribes and games like that. Um, this is his new big game from Yellow. Last Number 10 is Watergate. I've already played this a handful of times already. Oh, okay. Because uh, you got it last week? Is that yeah, it came in last week. It debuted at Gen Con, but if you pre-ordered it directly from Capstone, uh, they delivered it to you actually the week before Gen Con, which is awesome. I got Ragusa and Watergate the week before Gen Con, which is great. That was, I think more publishers are doing that. You know, uh, If you can't make it to Gen Con, it's amazing to be able to get the games coming out of Gen Con at the same time. Um, I've already played it a bunch. It's only at number 10 because you can't exactly anticipate a known quantity, uh, but it was definitely a huge hit at the con and seemed to be one of the biggest sellers at the con. Very exciting. So that is my top 10 games that were released at Gen Con that I'm most excited to play. You can expect reviews of all of those. If there are games that I didn't talk about that came out at Gen Con, go to our Facebook group, join it, and tell me the games you would like us to check out. And I will make sure uh, to grab a copy at some point and try to do a review. I've been seeing a lot of photos, you know, the, the Monday morning Gen Con photos of my hall, of people's halls from, from Gen Con. And it's always so interesting to see people's different people's tastes or like what they go to gen we'll, go, we'll get into this later but everybody yep. experiences a different gen con and like your stack here is definitely reflective of who you are and i'm, yep. I'm very, very heavy and i'm very close to this and then you're you see other people have experienced a completely different convention yeah, very different games. their hall is completely different it just reflects what they want to play yeah so we're not going to do our review right now we're going to do our debate first because we're in the middle of talking about gen con and we're going to stick with it so our debate this week is to gen con or Gen Can't. We are going to tell you the pros and cons of Gen Con, America's largest gaming convention and board game convention. The epicenter of all board game news and releases for the year in America. Not the biggest in the world. Essen will always still have that honor. But Gen Con is uh, definitely the premier one in America and probably the second biggest in the world after Essen. Um, but there are a lot of wonderful things about Gen Con, but there are also... A lot of negatives about Gen Con as well. And we're going to get into those today. We're not going to debate back and forth. We're just going to, we're going to talk about these pros and cons. And we want you to think of it this as a primer of, you know, we have a lot of experience at Gen Con. I've been three times. Trey's been probably 30 times. No, but over 10. <laughs> yeah. 10, no, yeah. Uh, we've definitely done it. We know it well. And um, we can talk this, about yeah, it. Yeah, this might help you decide, should yeah, is, I go? Is Gen Con for you? And yep. you know what? It's not for everybody. Nope. And that's okay. You want to start us off, Trey? Sure. First off is there is no, there's certainly no one single Gen Con experience. Every, uh, it is trying to encompass all different kinds of games. Tell us what kinds of games it's trying to encompass. Okay. For us, it'll be board games. For me, it'll be a lot more LARPs. For a lot of people, this is still a Dungeons and Dragons convention. Right, this so started, paper RPG convention. the reason it's called Gen Con is because it was originally in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, which was the home of TSR. And so it was a Dungeons and Dragons convention. Wow. Um, I didn't know that. So, and that's still a big part of it for a lot of people. It's just a big game hall where you go and I mean a dealer hall and you go and buy stuff. Um, you're going to have a lot of war gaming events. It's impossible to even begin to see a quarter of what this convention has to offer. I, I don't actually didn't actually spend that much time in the convention hall. Some right. people so there never was a leave. massive dealer hall, which is where and there's all, a ton of events in the convention center. They've opened up Lucas Stadium, so you're out I playing know, I games. Saw that. Oh, you haven't been there? No, that's new. Oh uh, yeah, you're playing games on the fifty yard line where the Colts play. Um, is it open gaming or is that open? no no they have events that's event but game. they're using okay. the the you know the football field yeah. that the NFL which is right next to it you yeah know, you pass it on the way in and then every hotel within five blocks all of their 
um, conference rooms and, and ballrooms are devoted towards yeah. gaming. It, it literally takes over the city of Indianapolis. Absolutely. Uh, it's the biggest event Indianapolis has. It's the, yeah, it, which is crazy. It is actually the biggest event this city has every year. I mean, it is uh, and it's a convention hundreds city. of thousands of people. Yeah. Um, massive. And yeah, it, it, it's a huge deal. It takes over. I mean, every, I'm telling you, every bar, every restaurant is gaming themed. They have special drinks named after game. I mean, it's like the, special Gen Con pricing. There's yeah, a con. Yeah, they, yeah. But they you, pump up the prices for everything. You can't for a go week. to any place within a three mile radius of, of Gen Con and not have things that every, the whole city just becomes there for Gen Con. Um, but uh, so I'll talk about a, a, a con for me as a board gamer. I go for one reason. I go for board games, right? right. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a pen and paper game. I'm not a LARPer. I'm there for board games. And this, there are two types of conventions in the world. There are conventions where you go and you play games and there are conventions where you go and you see games. Gen Con is a convention where you see games. That to me was a disappointment uh, and was hard for me. Now, I also travel with LARPers, okay? So when I'm going, I'm going with Tom and Trey and uh, they're not there for board games. They don't have time, they're busy. So my, my experience is at Gen Con, which is why I asked Trey if he was lonely, I've been lonely at pretty much all my Gen Cons because I actually spend most of my days alone. Now, I've done a few different things when I go to Gen Con. I've signed up for tournaments. So I've done the Game of Thrones tournament. I've done the Netrunner tournament. I've done, you know, Lord of the Rings sort of cooperative event. I've done, I go and I do a lot of LCG tournaments. Um, those take up whole days. I actually, I did it twice. And then my third time I was like, I'm never doing that again because you just lose your whole, you just, okay, pick Saturday or Sunday. That day's gone. Mm-hmm. spent the whole day playing cards. But that's why a lot of people go is they're 100%. going to play Game of Thrones tournament. That's right. what that's why they're there or yeah. Magic the Gathering tournament. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I decided that was not for me. What I, what I really wanted to do was buy all the new games I'm excited about and find people to play with. And I had a really hard time finding people to play with. There is not a designated open gaming space. At least there have maybe yeah, no, in the no, last no. year. If, there, if there is, it's spread out, and you're all like people are always fighting for tables. Yeah, just to so throw something. You out. end up going to hotel lobbies, and it's there's not a super easy way. To, there's not a lot of people who are looking to game. Yeah, you know they're they're busy. They've got events. They've got a conference to get to. They've got uh, you know an event, a, a LARP, an yeah, RPG. You're, you're looking for something that this convention does almost does not do. Yeah, it I ended certainly up, doesn't do well. I ended up going on Reddit like a year or two when I was there and like putting up a thread, being like looking for games. Here's the games I have, and like you know, and having to like really work hard, which is insane. With there's a couple hundred thousand people there who are there for gaming, and I I had to work really hard to find people to play board games with. Yeah, it's an event structured uh, convention where generally you are buying tickets. Like to buy tickets for the LARP events I go to, you buy them four months out when they first go for yeah. sale. And a lot of these events will sell out in five minutes, 30 minutes. Yeah. So it's not exactly a walk up and play culture. No, it's not. There. I mean, and the thing I think if Tom were here, he would say also. Um, why do you have to go to Indianapolis to sit at a table and play a board game? Like you, we can do that here yeah. on Tuesday night. We can go to our local strategic con, which does this very well where we just go to open gaming. Why do you go to Gen Con? You should go for a very specific reason. Yeah. And maybe that reason is Gen Con is the only place where I can get this thing. Yeah. Okay. So that was certainly, that was the, the, the pitch that Tom made to me 10 or 11 years ago. Cause I had always, I grew up on Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah always wanted to go and I thought that that's what I would do as I go play board games and D&D 
and it just had never done it. And Tom was like, no, 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 we're going to play LARPs. Right. And I was very suspicious of this, but he just made it kind of a very core argument, which was we can do this other stuff locally anytime we want. Let's go do the stuff at Gen Con that you can only do at Gen Con, which is, you know, an event with 40 people playing a social game at the same time. Yeah. We can't recreate that locally. Right. Um, no, you, that, can't, that, you can't have a, you know, thousand person Magic the Gathering tournament locally. Right. That's no. a great argument. And that makes a lot of sense. And, and, and the more I've gone to Gen Con, the more I've kind of realized that, that Gen Con is not going to give me what I want because I don't want to LARP. <laughs> like, I want to play board games. <laughs> right. I'm okay flying four and a half hours to play board games for four days. Is the thing that you want to, like you, I think the thing you would be happiest doing is treating Gen Con like Essen. Yeah, so where, exactly. Yeah, okay. So what I'd like to do, my ideal Gen Con is Thursday morning, I'm there at 6 a.m. with my coffee and my things and I'm excited. I got my list. 6 a.m. You're going to stand in line for four hours? I don't know. I, did, I, I got there at 7.30 once, yeah, and waited for three and a half yeah, hours. Yeah, you're nuts. And, but I enjoy it. I like, okay. the, I like the FOMO, man. Different, different Gen Con yeah, for different so people. I have my list. I have my battle plan. I have my order priorities of games I'm going to get. And that's buy, fun for buy, me. Buy, yeah, buy, FOMO buy. time, baby. FOMO all day. I'm excited. I've got my list. I'm going to go. Get the door's open. I rush in. I get in the games. Oh, no, stress. I'm not going to get it. Like, it's stressful, but I'm having fun. I like that part. That's probably until two or three on Thursday. I'm just buying games, right? You're just just stacking them up. Your children's future. My back is broken. Going away, buying yeah, cardboard. Yeah, got exactly. It. Then what I want to do, I want to go eat some lunch. And then I want to take all my games to a table somewhere where there's other people. And I want to punch those games, baby. I want to bag them. I want to organize them. I want to lay them all out. And, and hopefully, I've already read the rule books because I'm not going to waste time reading rule books at Gen Con. I know how to read the rule books. My ideal situation is then somebody walks by, a group of people walk by, affable, hardcore board gamers with, walk by. With and they nothing go, scheduled. Right, and they go, ooh, you got all the hot games we couldn't get. Do you want to play games for the next 27 hours straight? And I go... Yes, I do. And then they sit down and we play board games until I fall asleep. And then I want to do that every day until I leave. I just want to play board games until I fall asleep. Usually the new games, all the new games. You need to go to BGG con. I know. I know. See, everybody keeps telling me this. That's your con. Right. I want to go somewhere and play a whole bunch of new games or play games that or, see, so the, or play games that are too long to play, like 18xx's, things like that, things that take a whole day. Yes. Yeah, so I have learned that Gen Con is not your con. Is not my con. Look, and I, I plan on going in the future again because it's an event. And I think now that we have the podcast and stuff, we'll, we'll try to maybe schedule like sure. podcasts, do, mm -hmm. do more events. It's a chance to meet with designers for me. I mean, even when I had the podcast last time, I used Gen Con to meet designers. And so it became a little bit of a, not a work thing, but a hobby thing as opposed to a gaming thing. Um, so I imagine I'll go for that, but I know what it is now. And I, you do not go to Gen Con to play board games. You do not. I mean, maybe if you wanted to do a specific tournament, but tournament, I can say that's different, right? And yes. I think the other but thing you could be play. doing rather than punching your games and expecting random strangers to be cool and sit down and want to play your specific games is you should, you should be doing heavy demoing. Mm -hmm. Like you, you, you so go, let's talk about demoing. Yeah. So 
these are games that won't come out for a year, maybe two years. Some of them, some of them are coming out in six months, but depends. But most of the stuff you're demoing is stuff that some of them are on sale now. But a lot of them are trying to sell right now. I mean, a right. lot of them are sure. like, this is our new game. We want you to demo it because you're going to buy it. And if we get a bunch of sales at Gen Con, that's going to affect right. how the arc of the sales of this game. That also forward. does not speak to me because I will have done my research. Right. I will know what games I want. Like, look, there may be one or two things where I walk by and I go, oh, that looks cooler than I thought. I'll stand around and watch for a minute but i'm the kind yep. of person i've done my research i know i know what's what's worth was essen different for you because like you had your list yep. so you wanted to go and specifically demo certain things right so and the things i'd like to demo are things that i can't buy because usually if i can buy it the rule book's released i can check it out of course there are right. a handful of games where i was like this didn't look interesting but it, I'm, I'm down to sit down and play a round or two now let's talk about demoing so when you sit down especially at gen con and at essen as well it's first come first serve and you end up Sometimes there's signups, but yeah, there are, but it's usually you're going to stand, you're going to wait for a long time to sit down and get a space at a table and be taught the game and play. Or there's a weird thing where they're desperately trying to get you to demo yeah. something and you're suspicious of that. Yeah. Like the, the, the longer the wait tends to be the better game. Yeah. Or a yeah. Well, game the, the, the hyped games that everybody wants to play. Are and that's not always fair too. So like sometimes line. that empty booth where they can't get anybody to demo it could be awesome yeah absolutely it's, there's a red you know there's a velvet rope yeah. mentality to to a lot of but you're also you're usually going to play you know a lot of complicated games have sort of basic versions or advanced versions you're always going to play the basic version you're not actually going to get the real experience you're get, and, and you don't know who you're going to be sat with and a lot of these people will have you know harder times understanding the concepts they maybe they think it's going to be an easier game they, they you know so it can be a little frustrating it can be long you don't actually i've never really sat up from a demo and felt like i played the game at no, all you, you i have felt it. like i somebody sort of read the rule book to me a little bit and we got to do one or two rounds and then you get you what's funny i've always noticed you get people with crazy ap like guys it's a demo we're not here yeah. like stop trying to win like i've just, just do your turn i just want to see what happens explore like, the space a little i've literally like, like sat there with somebody's like oh, okay so i'm like no just take sorry, your turn. Like, sorry guys we're not here to win buddy we're not even gonna finish one round like well, your, your time at gen con is just way too precious to spend an sure. hour play testing a game you don't end up liking right so it's a bad bet and, and you can't really get up because it's rude to like be like oh i don't have that problem oh really no. i feel like if somebody speak, teaches the rule to me i can't be like somebody looking at my show is like hey you want to take over for me uh should I, yeah i guess Gone. but if nobody's there and it's like a game where they had a hard time getting people you should, you're stuck no you're not don't listen to them you're not stuck um so look one of the pros of gen con is trying new games that you're not gonna be able to buy for a while or buying games that are not gonna be on sale for a while. So a lot of the, one of the, the big reasons that there is FOMO at Gen Con and, and buying games FOMO is these games aren't gonna release till Essen, a lot of them. And this is your one chance to get them. And they have, they often have a sort of rigged system to make their game feel like it's got a lot of hype. So they will on purpose sometimes not, I mean, it, look, it's hard to bring a huge palette of games, but a lot of them won't bring a lot on purpose to sell out on day one. So they can have a big sign that says sold out on day one. Yeah. There's a marketing plan here. There's a marketing plan. Do we, we, you think this is what happened with Black Angel? Yeah. And you end up kind of getting that thing. And then a lot of them will be like, oh, we were lying. We have more the next day. But, you know, there was the story was sold out in 10 minutes, sold out. In 10. And they do that on purpose to sort yeah. of have this story of like, oh, no, we only 100 people got it. Oh. And then everybody pre-orders online. And like, you know, it's a thing. So I'm not saying everybody does that, but it happens. And that's not cool. And that's a bad feeling. Um, and a lot, of, a lot of these games like it's okay just to wait two months or three months for the game and buy it well, online. Take your or own at your advice, local Matt. Damn. 
Yeah. But if this is the biggest, I think dealer, I, I don't think origins is bigger as far as like, this is the biggest gaming dealer hall you can experience in the world. It, yeah. In the world. So Essen is not, not a huge, not, not as, not as big for sales. I feel no, like it's not as big as, for sales. As, 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 it's Essen much more, is more of a trade show. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But Gen Con is they're selling games. Any game that exists in the world is for sale at Gen Con. There's also, there's some good used games you can find at Gen Con, some mm-hmm. out of print, hard to find games. If you're looking for, you know, a, a, an in shrink, beautiful copy of Dune for $400, you'll find one at Gen Con. You know I mean? You'll find those really hard to find cool, you know, holy grail games at Gen Con too. So I, I think we should pivot away from the dealer hall because that yep. is just like one aspect of the con. And it's one that I spend very little time doing. If I weren't buying games for Matt, yeah. This year, I might. might not other than, I, I actually go there and I say hi to my designer friends yeah, sometimes. Sure. I just go and congratulate them on their new thing. But um, that's not a big part of my convention at yeah. all. Um, the thing I was going to say, the thing that is keeping me going is the community of friends that I have there now. Yep. I have fantastic. Gen Con friends. Gen Con friends. And I, it's often the only time I see them um, all year is at Gen Con, uh, and I wouldn't see them otherwise, and I don't want to lose that, and we go and we play uh, games together, and it is really hard to walk away from that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, so, and the social aspect of Gen Con would be, to me, the biggest plus of the con. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a party-drinking con. This is not For a, some. Uh, yeah. I, mean, I fall in that category. This is not a go back to your hotel room and go sleep at eight to be up at six. This is every bar is packed till closing. People are drunk. Everyone's hung over in the morning. Like I found this to be a pretty hard partying convention. Um, when done properly. Yeah, yeah. Obviously you can have plenty of fun sober as well, but there, there, if, if you want to have a few beers and, and have some fun and stay out late, this is a con that will uh, be there for you. And all the bars, uh, they're all, you know, I mean, every bar is packed within a mile of Gen Con, I feel like. Mm-hmm. People spilling out onto the streets. It's mm-hmm. like it's like a nerd Mardi Gras. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. I mean. Awesome. Yeah. And for the most part, gamers are nice. And there's, you know, when they get drunk, they just get tired. <laughs> they don't get angry. There's not a lot of bad vibes. It's not like drunken, brawly, gross, you know. I mean, obviously, in every every horrible, you know, sort of nerd world, there's some gross dudes who are awful but for the most part i think Gen it's a Con's pretty, really pretty good about nice kind yeah and there's the there's, harassment policy yeah. and, and making people feel welcome it's not perfect but like yeah. this is a this is a core value of the of the convention and that's yeah. come up against you know some of the stuff going on in indiana mm-hmm. that made a lot of people want to move the convention but the convention i feel like has been really responsive to that they've stood up well to mike pence and his nonsense um so, uh, so a con, meeting people, a big con though is the money. Yep. This is a very expensive convention, right? So, talk about what it costs to go to Gen Con. It costs easily over a thousand dollars because uh, certainly airfare, your mileage may vary whether you drive or you fly. I have to fly, um, but it's the it's the hotel room which is the killer. Um, if you want to be downtown, you're definitely going to spend two hundred dollars for a room whether that's a king or a double queen or something like that, you're going to spend $200 a night. You want to divide it up among four friends. If you're somebody that can't sleep with three other people in the room, you're in trouble or you're paying a lot of money. Yep. Um, It all adds up. They do have Gen Con pricing in Indianapolis um, where the prices in the restaurants go up. This is not a time for $3 drinks. Um, And you got to get to and from the airport. So just, it just, it adds up and, uh, specifically like our friend Mark now who goes to 
a lot of conventions and has tried a bunch of them, has just decided Gen Con is a bad deal. Mm. He's going to go to six or seven cons a year, maybe more, and Gen Con just doesn't rate any, uh, enough anymore because it's too expensive, too hard, too tiring compared to other options that are out there. And it's hard for me to argue with that, and I have to come back to the you know like the a lot of the big LARP events I want to do and this community is what keeps me coming back but but he's not wrong at yeah all. no it's it's crazy expensive and every time I've gone I share a room with a minimum three people and they all snore and you don't sleep and you're sleeping you bring on your a, poopery to you're sharing a queen size <laughs> bed with a 45 year old man and uh they, you know, it, yeah, it's cramped quarters. This is not like relax. This is not relaxing. You are exhausted and probably sick. By yeah, the you're end getting of the four or five hours of sleep. Yeah. And that's kind of if things are going well. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's exhausting and it's not, it's not a vacation. It's not like I would not bring my family and make this a relaxing weekend. This vacation. is a rough day at work for a lot of people. Yeah. You know, here we're recording the Monday after Gen Con and a lot of people are going to be in really bad shape. Yeah. And it's, yeah. So, I mean, and, and just the, it's a nightmare to get a room. There's this whole crazy lottery thing. You have to wake up at six in the morning and have multiple people trying their computers to try to book it. Yep. The tickets alone to Gen Con are a few hundred dollars just yep. for the weekend pass, right? Yep. It's like 200 something dollars for a weekend pass to Gen Con. Yeah. Gen Con, even on the cheap will still run you hundreds of dollars and you will pay in terms of your time. Like just yep. to, to save money, you can, you can go to a hotel six miles out of downtown, but that means you're driving in each day. Yeah. That means you're not staying up till four with friends. No, I've probably had to pay Tom. I mean, Tom usually covers the weekends and then I, he gives us all a bill afterwards of what we owe and stuff. It's a couple, it's $2,000 sometimes. I mean, you know, it's not, it's not. You're writing a check for 2000 That seems high. Well, for maybe he got the tickets to the plane tickets and everything. Okay. So I owe him for the plane tickets, the room food, you know, I don't know. But let's face it, I mean, it's really expensive. For, for a four-day event when you're saying, I'm going to spend $1,000 for a person, um, that's that's a big hardship for a lot of people. Yep. Absolutely. No, so... And yet it's still huge. Right. So it, it, And it'll probably get more expensive because they can. It's also more expensive the farther away you're coming from. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, like, we have to buy plane tickets from L.A., uh, you know, maybe you know somebody in Indianapolis who can make it cheaper. And the nice things about the hotels, though... They're all walking distance, right? Like you are, you don't need a car. You don't need to do, um, if you're going to pay the $200 a night, that's the benefit is that right. you can walk anywhere. You, you are don't have five to... minutes away from the dealer room. You are mm -hmm. right there. And that's nicer. If you're going to buy a bunch of games and they weigh 400 pounds on your back, you want to drop them off at your room and you want to continue your day. That's one of the nice benefits. Or do is a like costume change. Yeah. Every hotel I've ever stayed at there is right across the street from the convention, which is amazing. But you're sharing it with five people and, you know, it's, uh, it's expensive and it took forever to get. So, yeah, it's a tough con if you're new to it, too. Yeah, it's not beginning. Like you're experiencing the, the loneliness thing. Mm -hmm. um, the, the longer you go, the more community you have. And I'm specifically playing social games. So that's part of why it's so sticky mm -hmm. for me. So speaking of this kind of pro con thing, there is a lot of talk among uh, my group of friends, the people that run LARPs and play LARPs at Gen Con of actually just trying to transplant this community because we're paying such a premium right. just to get all of our friends together. Why do we have to do that at Gen Con? And it's something that we're specifically considering now is like relocating to another con maybe or either creating one or relocating to another con in sh like Chicago. Right. Because um, it is a tight-knit community of LARPers there, and it's sort of the same people, I feel like, yeah. at, at most of the LARPs. 
uh, Beacon in Chicago is, is currently putting together um, something. So if people are in the Chicago area, you should look that up. I know a lot of great people are going to be running that con, if, especially if you're into LARPing. Check out Beacon. Okay. So anyway, but that's something to consider because the negatives, as much as I love it, and I just had a great time, and I'm so happy I went. Yeah. Um, at the same time, we're all looking for alternatives. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's all my pros and cons. you have any more? Nope, that's it. That is Gen Con. We've given you all the truth that you can handle on Gen Con. We, we forgot some things. We know sure. we, we forgot some things. Yeah, so maybe sure. that's something we could hear from people. We didn't of- do the pros and cons about the male to women ratio or diversity, which is always an issue at every convention, um, not specific gaming to Gen Con. Yeah. Any gaming convention, yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously this is the perspective of a bunch of uh, white men going to Gen Con as well. And I'm sure women have a different experience and minorities as well. Um, we'd love to hear from you. If you have your own opinions and thoughts on Gen Con that you want to share, we definitely love to uh, talk about those as well. Um, shall we move into our review for the week, Trey? Sure. Our review for the week is Tokyo Metro. Tokyo Metro is from Jordan Draper, uh, who is a, a, a sort of a, a designer that we're sort of become interested in recently. He has a very interesting line of games. Um, they all look, uh, they're all in these little small boxes. They look like you'd buy them at a fancy museum somewhere. They're very artisan and, and beautifully thought out um, with interesting components um, that you don't find in a lot of board games. And his board game designs as well. So you run the gamut from dexterity games to you know heavy sort of 18xx style games to party games to i mean he he seems to every game seems to be in a completely different genre he's a very prolific and interesting designer um he's lived in japan for many years that's why he has this tokyo series of board games um you can go to his website jordandraper.com d-r-a-p-e-r and you can see all of his exciting games his most famous game is probably a game called import export which is sort of his take on glory to rome um and I would say that Tokyo Metro is sort of his take on 18xx. Often his games are clearly ones that he he loved and wants to do his own version of. Um, why don't I just quickly give you the stats on Tokyo Metro? It plays one to five players, 60 to 90 minutes, which I it's probably 90 minutes, I'd say. Maybe 90 minutes to two and a half hours. Um, the wait on BGG... So it's not long. It's not no, it's long. not long. No, yeah. compared to the, the genre it's in, it's very short. Um, BGG weights it as a 3.21. That might even be a little light. It's a pretty heavy game. Um, there's a rules overhead. It's a teach. Um, which definitely adds to it. Um, I didn't know it plays one to five players. Uh, I'm interested in the solo version of it. I didn't see that in the rules, but maybe it's somewhere. Let me read you the description. In Tokyo Metro, players take on the role of private investors looking to build up stations across Tokyo, speculate on train lines, and comprise a shared network to benefit multiple parties. The core of the game is built around worker placement, which opens up three possibilities. Walking and riding trains the met- uh, across the metro map, in order to build new stations at advantageous locations for income when trains pass through, investment into train lines, either by purchasing stock or becoming a shareholder in the line, or by speculating on a train line you do not own stock in in order to potentially double your speculation. Build up your available actions by purchasing more action discs, purchasing discarded action cards for personal use, or gaining tokens for specific use. With route planning, investing, speculating, area control, and a real replication of the Tokyo area, Tokyo Metro brings a heavy economic twist to the Tokyo series. That is uh, from the publisher. Um, So let's talk about the components first. Tokyo Metro comes with a cloth board. 
Now, uh, in order to play this, you do not need a piece of plexiglass, but I would highly recommend a piece of plexiglass. So this is not a paperboard. This is cloth. And the cloth comes in a small box, meaning that it is folded probably 16 times over in order, to fit, in order to fit in this small box. So there are creases and lines all over it. Yes, you could take an ironing, uh, put it on an ironing board and iron it flat. Um, or you can go to Home Depot for $12 and get a, you know, a three by three piece of plexiglass. And uh, if you're a board gamer, you probably already own one. I got one this week, finally. Okay. Uh, went to uh, Home Depot and grabbed one. Um, not very expensive, 10 bucks, yeah, I think. Yeah, pros and cons of the cloth board. Yeah. There are many. So you are going to need it's something. Pretty. Yeah, it's very pretty. And it is almost an exact replica of the Tokyo subway line. I've heard they made some changes for gameplay. Um, but it looks like a map of the Tokyo subway system. Um, the theme, I, th- I feel like the... Um the theme here is kind of great and not almost like there was a, not a translation error, obviously, but this is a kind of a unique thing about a train game is like you are not building lines. Like right. Most train games, we are laying lines right. and connecting things. This is not one of those. Right. The entire map exists from the beginning and now we are kind of like we are buying these elements that already exist. So and they'll say what trains build run. train station, but what it really is is that you have purchased a train station that already exists. So it felt like there may be, if they had themed this a little bit more of like, we have these existing lines and train stations, everything's getting privatized, yeah. and you're now buying into this public system and making money from what you own and what yeah. you are running. And I think there's a little bit of history there where you had multiple train lines running uh, in Tokyo yeah. that were privately owned and were competing. So it's not like you just go into the New York subway and everything is just right. you know, New York public. Right. Um, yeah, I was definitely interested in understanding the theme because I didn't really fully get it. And obviously, like, you don't make money every time a train comes through your station on the subway because it does it a thousand times a day. Um, but I think that that part's a little abstracted. Um, so let's talk about this in relation to 18xx games because it's it's impossible not to. So 18xx games, the three main compartments, the three main things that make an 18xx game an 18xx game is uh, stocks, stock manipulation, buying stocks. This game has that. You are buying stocks in multiple train lines, all of the different uh, subway lines, you know, the E, the G, the L, the M, the things like that. You are buying stock in. When you are the first player to buy stock in that company, it begins to run. There are only three stock so usually in a train game, there are, you buy 10% shares, right? And if usually if you have 50%, then the, then you are the president and the, and the train line starts operating. And you control it. Right. This is, there are three and, uh, whoever buys the first is, uh, the president basically. And the train line starts running. Although there isn't technically a president in this one, there's three shares. There's can, no decision. You don't get any decision-making ability, right. but, but you, do, you are the majority but shore, by majority buying shore. one share, the train line becomes operational, operational it starts moving yep. down the, down the path. Um, you can never own more than one share in your own company, in that company. So somebody else can buy one, but it gets more expensive. The second one is more expensive than the first, and the third one is more expensive than the second. More um, expensive and returns less. And returns less, and you get mo- worse points on it. So basically, like the first one in is going to get the most points at the end of the game for it. Second one will get less, third will get less than that, and they get more expensive. So less points and more money. So you know, getting in first is really important. Although in the game we played, Definitely people were diversifying and jumping into other people's stuff because at certain points it becomes very cost effective, especially when it's a very successful one um, and gets you, uh, gets you a good return on your money. So stocks, 
That's a big part of this game. Next is building train lines. That's a huge part of 18XX. Not in this game. All train lines are built. The only decisions you have is if the trains on them run. Yeah. So Do they become operational. Right. And they run on a fixed uh, track. So in 18XX games, uh, well, yeah, so that's the next thing. So building train lines. Then the last one is operating trains. Uh, in 18XX, you decide where the trains go, and usually it's always going to be the way that's going to make you the most money. The trains on this one are just sort of on a back-and-forth ping-pong from point A to point B and then back. Um, they, they, every turn, they will move a certain amount of spaces. They can move more if you add some speed tokens to them. But every turn, they're going to move, I think, five. Right. Instead, like in 18XX, you typically have, like, you're improving your engines yep. that are running a lot of times. Here, the only thing we have is you can do some minor manipulation of... How quickly do the right. trains run? The trains run. run automatically, and you can decide how sort of if they run a little faster, um, which is just always going to be good because they'll get to the end and back faster, and they'll, they'll pass through your station. So that's what makes an 18XX, and that's the similarities here. Now, the, the big difference is here is that you are buying stations, and that's sort of the main part of the game. Um, you are buying these stations, and every time a train runs through them, you get a certain amount of points, and stock in that train goes up. If you own stock and the station, I mean, let me just the you stock there, goes up. You, you don't get points in this game. This money. is, this is one of those games where a person with the most money at the end wins. That's the, Which is that's an 18XX thing, yeah. So yeah, the two things you can kind of purchase in this game is buying stocks into train lines, make the trains run, or you can buy the stations themselves. And kind of like the, the core central rule here is if I own a station and a train line passes through it and I don't own part of that train, I get paid cash. I make 200 bucks. Right. If, and however, then the value of the train stock goes up. Right. The, both the train line benefits, because this is like where it's operating, it's being successful. So right. the, the value of the train stock pool goes up by 200 bucks and the, the station that it went through made $200 cash right. liquid. I can now invest that this, money. And also that's basically the only way in the game to get cash outside of loans. Mm -hmm. That's it. If however, I run a train line that I do own part of through one of my train stations, the value of that train line goes up by 500 bucks. Right. So, you know, big return on the value of the train. However, none of that is immediately in my hands, which is, it's not operational cash. Right. So a big decision a lot of times is do I want to, you know, buy train lines that are going to push up my stocks of, of my train or am I just trying to get cash to buy more stocks to, or to buy more stations? And this is kind of one of the core decisions you're making in the game. Um, right. So we have not talked about the worker placement. Right. That's what I was, I was just getting to. So that is obviously something that's not in 18xx at all. And is a huge part of this game is worker placement. So and it does it in a really interesting way that I'd never seen before, which is there are a deck of cards and the cards come out in a certain order. They're stacked by dots. So the ones and the twos and the threes. But the order they come out in is sort of Agricola-esque in the sense that Very like, you, much you, don't, like Agricola. you don't exactly know what's going to come out in the order, but you know that all of them will come out and they decide what actions are available. And on those cards, you then have a bunch of different actions you can take. Um, and some of them will cost multiple workers. So that's sort of a, a, a Feast for Odin kind of thing. Like this action may cost two workers. This may cost one. There's also, of course, like in any Uwe Rosenberg game, actions that get you more workers. And of course, those are very valuable, uh, family planning. Um, but yeah, you have a certain amount of workers. You're going to be placing them, taking actions. 
and that is the majority of the game. Then there is a little, uh, then the trains run automatically and the beginning of turn, you get a couple free moves. So you actually have a person that walks around on the board and it doesn't walk around on the train lines, although it can move with the trains, but it walks around in these little squares behind the train lines. And in order to buy a station, your person actually has to be there. And one of the actions is buying that person a bicycle so that when they move, they could move farther. Right. Which is a nice, fun little uh, bit of uh, theming. Um, so that is definitely... Uh, it limits you from just being able to buy any station you want. You are limited by what you can get to. But riding the train lines themselves, now that they're running, there's a very interesting kind of planning of, I'll be able to catch this train to get to that valuable station. Because it, be- it becomes clear, like some stations are definitely going to be worth more than others. And we're racing mm-hmm. to buy this kind of like valuable real estate. Right. Um, let's talk about the quick actions really quick. There's move, there's build stations, there's invest. This is how you buy more stock. This is how you start companies. There's, <laughs> there's loan, like a, a core component of train games for yep. me feels like you can take loans. Yep. Um, the loans are very hard to pay back. That's something we found. There's only a handful of actions in the game that even allow you to pay them back and you must pay them back. Uh, so you get a thousand yen and you can pay back a thousand at the end of the game, you, you lose 1500 for every loan you have. So and it's, actually, it's an action in order to pay them back, and it's a very rare action that only exists at the end of the game. So right. generally, you're, you're almost always taking 1000 bucks and paying back yeah. 1500 And I never later. even, I mean, it's, yeah, and it's rare to have 1000 Just know that that's what up. you're doing. You're, yeah, you're, you're purchasing part. liquidity. Right. Then there's the start action, which allows you to actually make a train just go to its endpoint and come back once, which you would want to do if you have a lot of stations on that and you want to make some money. But nobody actually owns that station, that train line yet. Um, then there's speed, which you can add, make your trains automatically move a little bit faster. There's bike, which and we talked about. And protect you against speculation. Right. There's discount, which is really interesting. And you guys, we actually found out, because I played with Paul, you guys actually were playing it wrong. So uh, on discount, you get to place a token on a spot in order to get you a discount on a later action. So the way you guys are doing it is that you actually use that worker and move it from there and take the action. Where what you really do is you it place- stays there. Nope, you place, you, it, you have to spend another worker for the action. It doesn't get a free move and then become the worker. That's what I'm there. saying. You're saying that it goes on a discount you, you, and you, you never pull it. No, you do. You put it on top of the disc that you've just placed on that spot. So I put something on a 400 discount, right? So later okay. on, I'll get 400. Then I want to take something that costs 600. I have to put a man there. But I can then decide to put that disc to take that discount disc off and put it on top of that person in order to get a discount. We have been playing the game wrong. Yeah, so it doesn't actually. It's not a. It's not a use this worker later. It is that worker is used, and you can decide when you want to use it that round to get a discount. Uh, makes the discount a little bit a lot weaker, um, but still, you, you it definitely got used a lot in our game, even when we were using it correctly. Um, Money's tight. Yeah, money is very tight in this game, and you will be taking loans. Um, bidding uh, allows you basically a age of steam sort of skip in the bidding. So every round you're going to be doing a blind bid, a one-round blind bid for turn order. For yeah. turn order. Uh, then there's loans we talked about. Then there's speculate. Speculate is the most complicated part of the game um, and basically allows you to tank somebody else's train line at the end of the game. Uh, and it's sort of the, the most interactive and mean aspect of the game. Yeah, and you, I had you, one of my train lines absolutely tanked right but you have to play you can't just throw everything into your own train lines and then leave them open to speculation you have to protect them and you can protect them by getting the speed up on the trains because there's only two spots where you can kind of speculate anyway it's interesting it's it's one of those 
push and pull things it's pretty yeah. common in these train games where the best thing to do is not necessarily like just running your own train line really well yeah like that's rarely the right thing you to have to do attack others and protect yourself and yeah it becomes a little bit of a war game in a lot of things i think the game doesn't work without speculate i think it's a really a great a, a necessary addition to the game then there's action which gets you more workers and the last one is cards so uh there are every round um one row of the available worker placement spots will be discarded and fall off the board and you can buy those and then those are actions only you can take for the rest of the game cannot be blocked cannot be blocked and cannot be used by anybody else and now you have that action for the rest of the game which is very powerful very cool that's a very cool thing um that's how the game works trey what are your thoughts on it um i really like this game because i like um i'm not a huge 18xx fan this seems to preserve the elements that i do like um i i so the stock part is fun i love the worker placement like that's just my jam. Yep. Generally, it's it's beautiful. It plays very quickly. Um, it does not have a tremendous amount of AP. Right. Um, Turns are pretty quick. Yeah, because I think the thing that that is the most AP about a lot of train games is the laying track thing. You're looking at this map, and it's a big, wide open board. And where where am I going to lay stuff? This takes all of this away, and it's simply a matter of I'm looking at the map and what what looks like a good place to kind of like um, invest in. Right. Um, so this is hitting uh, a lot of uh, great buttons for me. I'm eager to play it again and play discount properly because it probably does affect a little bit like my one criticism of the game, which is that it felt to me every time I've played it like it's gone on one turn longer than it should Ooh. because the actions in the final round, you often feel like I have many more workers to place than I actually have actions to do. I think that's do the discount thing happening because we didn't right. have that in our game. That's right. Um, and Alfred said when we were, that's right, I was playing with Paul and Alfred, and Alfred even said, like, oh, we, this game has a problem in the end round, but when we were playing correctly, I had many things I wanted to do with my last few workers. Yeah, and the main thing you want in that last round is you just want the trains to run again because it's going to generate a lot of um, income right. as far as, like, and then you, you, there is a very large end scoring component uh, to this game. So it's hard to really yeah. tell who's winning. You're, everybody's mm-hmm. holding a bunch of stocks. You have cash on hand. Right. That's um, a big sort of stock payout thing at the end. Sort but of that's, like but that's again, very, yeah, very train, train gamey. Yeah. And, and you see, you know, you get these large piles of cash at the end that we're all going to compare. Yep. And each game we've played so far has been really competitive where <laughs> the difference between, you know, first and last has been, within 10 to 15%. Well, I think that's because you were playing on a level playing field with pay players who had only played the same amount of times as you. Uh, we oh. played against Alfred who'd played twice and he wrecked us. I think <laughs> okay. much like 18 okay. X this is the game where if this is your first game, if you played with someone who've played a couple times, you're going to lose mm. and you're going to, you're going to, it's going to be a learning game for you. Uh, which there's a lot to take in with this map. There's a beautiful map, but there's, there's a lot going on here. Yeah. Um, so uh, I'm a fan. I, I think that this, this would certainly be in my top five for 2018. I'm kind of surprised that I didn't see uh, more about it. And I think maybe like the, the strength of the boxing and the cloth map and all this other stuff um, might actually not be the, the greatest commercial choice, but I think it's a really good game. Like we've, we've entered into this weird um, realm where when you and I first started playing board games, we played games with, you know, black and white and brown cubes and if you wanted to have a game with custom pieces uh, you know you got your uh, finger wag your way saying hey yeah. that's going to make the game too expensive you know you got to think about you know your components and keeping things cheap in order to make it that world is gone yeah. we are now in the realm of custom pieces you know 
thousands of minis in certain games. And so the kind of economy, I mean, beautiful game, but the, it's, it's super economical. And I think that's actually a kind of a negative in the modern uh, marketplace. Yeah, well, and Jordan Draper, I think, you know, making all these games himself and selling them on his website. These are not games you can buy at uh, your local friendly game store or online. You at all, huh? Okay. Not on Amazon, not on uh, Cool so Stuff, the, anywhere. So, so he doesn't have a big marketing campaign behind him either. So. No, and I, these, I feel these are, you know, being produced, you know, probably by himself, uh, you know, or through a small print run company. Um, you can buy his games directly through his website, which is jordandraper.com, and uh, he will ship them to you. Um, they are reasonably priced. I mean, this game is, you know, 50 bucks, which is pretty average. I mean, you, it's a very small box, but there's a lot in that box. Oh, see, that's interesting. So many people will experience a disconnect right. of looking at this box, which is like a two and a half by three inch by four four maybe five inch box yeah it's to, the size to most people this looks it's sort of like the a, size of a large iphone case this is looks like a 20 dollar game from yeah. the outside right and That's so right. 50 dollars you'd be like what no yeah. we, all, we all have ideas about what a game could cost should yeah, cost it's based upon the box, size of the box but it's a heavy game and this is a, you know I, I love a game that can pack a lot i mean packs renaissance and this are both games that are in very small boxes and are heavy you know mm-hmm. and i have a lot of strategy and a lot of replay value in them um, I enjoyed it a lot. I'm really excited for City of the Big Shoulders, which you just brought for me from Gen Con, which also is a Euro worker placement style take on 18xx, also a 18xx without any trains. Um, there's even less of a connection between 18xx and, uh, uh, and City of the Big Shoulders than there is with Tokyo Metro because there is no actual line. There's no things running. It's just you're running companies and buying stocks and manipulating them and worker placement. Um, I'm obviously very interested in a lot of the mechanics that are involved in 18xx and very excited to see designers who seem to be very interested in taking those aspects and uh, making them uh, euro friendly and, uh, you know, a little more board gamey. Um, so I, I really enjoyed this. I, I would happily play it any time. Um, I'm very excited. I really feel like I'm I feel like whether or not it stays in my collection or not is going to be dependent on how much I like City of the Big Shoulders, because I feel like they'll sort of scratch the same itch of like worker placement 18xx game. Um, I, I'm not. I'm not sure you're right about that. Okay. I, the, especially having seen the game um, demoed a little bit at at Gen Con. Yeah. I I think these are going to be pretty different games. Okay, or, cool. So. I think Tokyo Metro. If you like uh, 18xx games and Euros, I mean, this you just just buy it. Like this well, this but this might like actual 18xx players. This probably isn't for them because it's right. too simple. Well, that's the thing. If, I'm saying if you really like 18xx and Euro games, well, you're not listening to us for one thing. <laughs> if you really like 18, that's a different group. Yeah, uh, but um, you know it, the Train Rush, which is a great podcast about 18xx, by the way, if you're looking for one. Um, yeah, I, I I think this is worth looking at. So there, it's really hard to find a lot of information about this game. There's no real videos explaining it. You cannot get the rule book online. Um, this is one of those. Uh, buy and try games as opposed to try then buy. Um, well, we're telling you to try it. Yeah, we're telling you to give it a try. I mean, hopefully this this uh, podcast will give you some information on it because it's a game with not a lot of information out there on it and it is a small game, um, but it definitely deserves uh, more informa- more attention than I think it's getting at the moment. Yeah, is it a weird thing about our format, Matt, is that we have all these different co-hosts and when you, a co-host comes on, they end up being like an advocate for the game they're reviewing. Like, it's mm-hmm. no accident the, the games that I've reviewed here because they're some of my favorite games of mm-hmm. the last year. And then a lot of the ones you, the other co-hosts have reviewed, they've given them really good reviews. A lot of those weren't my favorite. Right. So it sounds like we're, we're saying, you know, this game is great every single time. Yeah, we've had some negatives and yeah. we've had some, you know, like, uh, but I think, I think also in the first few rounds, you know, we're itching to talk about games we're excited about as opposed to, you know, being like, well, let's review that. I didn't love it, but I think we'll be getting to those more. 
Um, that's our review of Tokyo Metro. Uh, check it out at jordandraper.com. He's definitely worth looking into for uh, all different types of genres, and I think you'll find something you like in the board game world uh, in Jordan's designs. Um, I think that's it, Trey. I think we did a good job here today. I think we're going to leave it there. Uh, no uh, board game sommelier this week. Um, you need some rest, I would imagine, after your Gen Con weekend. I, I think you were remarking earlier, I, I seem to have escaped the Con crud. Yep. Like maybe you can hear it a little bit we'll see. in my voice. Hopefully uh, yeah. you didn't give it I'm to recovering, me. but it's, uh, I'm also experiencing the, the post-Gen Con depression. <laughs> I feel like I'd be perfectly happy with it going another week. I know that's an illusion, but uh, yeah. it's always great to see everybody, all my friends at Gen Con, and uh, a year is going to be a very long time. Totally. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, you've been listening to Game Brain, produced and edited by Matthew Robinson. Special thanks to Daedalus for our incredible music. You might know him as Alfred on the show. More on Daedalus at GameBrainPod.com and more on all of us there as well. You can reach me by email at Matthew at GameBrainPod.com or on Twitter at GameBrain underscore pod. Thanks for listening and go play some games with friends or go make some friends with games. <laughs>